Well, good morning, church. It's great having you here this morning and you joining us via the live stream. Now, I just want to mention a couple of things. On February 22nd is our annual membership meeting. We'll be having it both on-site and virtual, okay? So you don't have to be here, and we're going to set it up through Zoom, so you're going to get to know what's going on. And so to help you uh, today, both exits, there's uh, annual reports that kind of give you an update on what transpired last year in the ministries of our church family. And if you're interested and you can't come to the church to get it, let us know to the church office and we'll electronically send it to you. How's that? So everybody can be informed. That's our goal. Why don't we stand as we open the Lord, uh, open in prayer and ask God to really help us this morning. I'm kind of excited about what I'm going to share this morning. I'm Actually, I'm always excited about what I'm going to share. I love sharing the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning for your amazing word, which not only instructs us, it can encourage us, it can inspire us. Lord, it can correct us. Whatever it needs to do in our lives, I pray this morning that it will do that amazing work of grace. And now, Holy Spirit, would you open our minds so that we'll literally come to a place of understanding. It'll not just be mere words, it'll be an illuminated word to our hearts. It will enlighten us and it will encourage us to become that which you've designed us to be. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled today's message, Taking Care of Business. You guys liked it. Now, people are already singing the song. I, I knew it. Somebody, I was on prayer uh, Zoom this morning with my prayer partners. They said, Pastor, are you going to have that song? I said, no, but uh, you know, I was playing through my mind. Uh, how many know one of the keys in, to be successful in life is how we relate to people, especially in the workplace? You know, people that are our coworkers, people that are our clients or our patrons, whatever we, we think about it. And, you know, a lot of times we get so fixated on the actual task at hand that we lose sight of a bigger picture. And I believe that God wants us to really grow in this realm of our lives. And I, I, a question I'm going to be raising today is, What are we really trying to accomplish with our lives? What are we investing our lives in? And what are the true resources that God has given to us? And I think may shock you a little bit as we uh, talk about those kind of resources. You know, this past week I ran across a story. This is an old story told by Dr. Dobson, and he shares about a challenging situation that came at his friend's workplace. His friend was a dentist. And so there was this little guy named Robert. He was kind of one of those defiant, extremely defiant, obnoxious 10-year-olds, probably one of the patients that when he walked in, the whole clinic kind of groaned inside because he was totally unruly. There was no controlling this kid. And uh, so they brought him in. And unfortunately for the, Robert is... The dentist realized that he was going to have to do some extensive dental work. And, you know, a lot of times dentists refer people on. And so he knew that this work required uh, a little more specialization. And he dreaded the fact that he had to refer this patient to anybody else. He thought, this could really wreck my reputation in town. But eventually, he decided to refer him to an older dentist who, quote unquote, had a way with kids. I always love that statement. So Dr. Dobson relates the story. He says, the confrontation that followed now stands as one of those classic moments in the history of human conflict. Ten-year-old against the older dentist, right? You know, Robert arrives in the dental office. He's totally prepared to do battle. 
And so the older guy said, the older, older dentist says, now, young man, you're going to have to get into that chair. And Robert says, no chance. Son, I told you, you're going to have to climb into that chair. And that's what I intend for you to do. Robert stares at his opponent for a moment and says, if you make me get into that chair, he says, I'm going to take off all my clothes. The dentist calmly says, go right ahead. <laughs> Son, take them off. The boy starts removing his shirt and... Uh, you know, a few other garments, I think his shoes, his socks, and then he, you know, he, does, he hasn't removed everything yet, looks up in a little bit more defiance. He says, I'm not getting in that chair. The dentist says, all right, now get on that chair. Well, you didn't hear me, sputtered Robert. I said, if you make me get on that chair, I'm going to take off all my clothes. Well, son, take them off. <laughs> Robert proceeds to take everything off. He's standing there totally naked in front of the dentist and his assistant. Now, son, get in that chair. Robert now does exactly as he's told. He sits cooperatively through the entire dental procedure, and when the cavities are totally done, he's instructed to step down from the chair. Give me my clothes now, says Robert. I'm sorry, said the dentist. Tell your mother that, they can, that we're going to keep them overnight. She can pick them up tomorrow morning. <laughs> Now, can you imagine the, you know, the comprehension and uh, shock in Robert's mother as, as, she, as Robert walks into the waiting room, you know, naked as the day he was born. Now, the room is filled with other patients, but Robert and his mom, they walk past him into the hallway, down to the public elevator, into the parking lot, ignoring all the snickers of the onlookers. The next day, Robert's mom shows up to pick up his clothes, and she asks to have a word with the dentist. Now, maybe in this, I don't know, who knows where she's at, but this is what she says to the dentist. You don't know how much I appreciate what happened here yesterday. You see, Robert has been blackmailing me about taking his clothes off for years. Whenever we were in public grocery store, he'd make unreasonable demands of me. And if I didn't immediately buy him what he wanted, he threatened to take off all his clothes. You're the first person who called his bluff, doctor. <clears throat> and the impact on Robert has been absolutely incredible. Now, how many know, we you know, the ability to understand others... And to understand how to go about our work is critical in life. How many got an idea that the older dentist knew exactly what he was doing here with this young guy? And you know, I think a lot of people, we just let people get away with things, let people manipulate us. But this guy realized, I have a job to do and I'm going to get it done. And this young guy needs a little lesson. And how many know he probably got what he needed? <laughs> you know, Proverbs 27. We're going to look at the last paragraph. I didn't get to finish Proverbs 27. There's enough last week. So I want to take a look at the five verses and zero in, Proverbs 27, beginning in verse 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. I know all you farmers out there pay close attention, but we're going to apply it to a modern context. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Now, Robert Alden writes, the major lesson of the passage is that we must exercise wisdom in planning so that we can take proper care of our assets and make them work for us. And that's true. Now, how many recognize that Proverbs, as we've been going through it, is a literary genre that deals with wisdom literature? 
And wisdom literature addresses every sphere of our lives. And how many know work is a big sphere in most of our lives? It takes lots of our time. And I believe here that it transcends not just our work time. This actually is a passage that deals with every one of our lives. And I jokingly said to the guys that I was praying with this morning, some of them are retired, you guys aren't off the hook yet. Because as long as we're on the planet, God has a job for us to do. And we're going to see that. People who diligently do their work and understand what's happening in their context of their work environment um, basically um, they're, they're the ones that are, have the ability to manage and understand people. So it's all about managing our lives. And you know, when I take a look at most people, I go, what kind of a job am I and you, what are we doing to manage our lives well? That's really the, the core of the question here that I think this is raising. You know, it's not just about our finances. This is far more significant than that. But I think that this, this message is in the context of this agricultural background. And, you know, for the most part, you know, in history, the majority of business was actually agricultural in nature. Yeah, there was some manufacturing, but it was relatively small in comparison to the production of food. So there's, there's a number of things I think we can learn from this text. And I want to look at three of them today, three things that pertain to life and work in an ever-changing world. And I think our world is ever-changing. Uh, number one is the work that we're responsible for. And as I said, we're not just talking about our tasks or our roles, but we're talking about something today far more important. We need to know the true condition of the people we live with and we work with. Because when you understand something, the greatest asset that is in our world today is people. And we need to get that in our minds. And I believe this applies to all of us. How can we develop the kind of people skills? How can we grow uh, and help other people to become all that they were designed to be. Because I believe if we start investing our energies into other people, we're going to find out that they become what we're going to discover is a renewable asset. And this is what this passage is talking about here today. Uh, so in Proverbs 27, 23, it says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Now, if you're, you know, if you're taking care of animals, how many think that might be a wise thing, to know what's happening to your, your, your flock? I mean, this is the, your asset. This is what's going to feed you. This is what's going to take care of you. This is what's going to provide resources for you. So you need to have an understanding of what's going on there in these, these animals' lives. He says, give careful attention to your herds. Now, I'm going to take us all the way back to the book of Genesis because I believe we get a little understanding what God intended when he created the world and the people that were in it. And God gave us as human beings a specific mandate. Let's take a look here in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea. Here's our purpose statement. God says, I'm creating you, but I have something in mind for you to do. So God didn't just design us so that we do our own thing. As a matter of fact, we were designed by God not only to reflect his image, but also to take on a responsibility. God has given us a dominion or a authority, but also responsibilities. Given us a purpose. How many know a lot of people feel that they lack purpose in life? And yet God, right from the very beginning, designed purpose into all of our lives. He says so that they may rule over or have authority, have dominion, have, have and, and it's a responsibility too. 
I believe all authority go, and responsibility, those things go together. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God's now delegating authority to manage and steward the planet that he's given to us. I mean, that's kind of a big responsibility. God says, I created this world. It belongs to me, but I want you to manage it for me. So um, Proverbs, uh, sorry, Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. So I'm going to make a statement. This planet belongs to God, and every human being on the planet belongs to God. Everybody's got to get that in our heads. So when you and I, you know, you know, ditch God, if I can use that term, and you and I turn our back on God, or you and I negate God in our lives, <clears throat> what we're really doing is saying it's about me and not about God. When God is really saying, no, it's about me, I created you for my purposes, and I have a purpose in it, and I've given you a responsibility, and whenever you and I discover this, all of a sudden, life takes on a greater degree of significance and meaning. We understand why we're here now, and it makes all the difference in the world. So here we are, shown to be accountable to God, we're his managers, we're his stewards, and in Proverbs 27, we're called to be diligent stewards in which God has entrusted things into our lives. See, if I'm the farmer and I have the flock, I'm challenged to make sure I take care of what God's brought into my life. So God's brought a lot of things into our lives. You know, God has enriched you. He's brought maybe uh, other people into your lives. How are we treating these people? You know, if he's brought children into our lives, how are we treating them? If he's brought, you know, fiscal resources and business acumen into our minds and maybe we're, our businesses are thriving, you know, well, we have to recognize God's in charge of all of this. And so we see the need for diligence in our approach to labor. God said to them, uh, in chapter 28 here, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So, I mean, how many get a sense that there's a call for diligence here? Be fruitful and increase in number. God's not saying, hey guys, just coast, you know, uh, just store up and that's it, you know, don't do anything. No, no, he's, he's telling us, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we're seeing this need for diligence in our approach to labor. And, I, and I, I write this down. You know, how many know that delegation is not abdication? There's a big difference. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm just delegating this responsibility off, and then they never go back and check on what's going on. That's abdicating a responsibility. You know, really good delegation is actually empowering people to do things with your help and supervision. You know, that's, that's a responsibility of a manager. That's what we should be doing with other people. We need to know the condition of our flocks. We need to know the condition of our business. We need to know the condition of our family. We need to know the condition of other people's lives. We can't just stick our head in the sand and act like an ostrich, like we don't care what's going on in our world. No, God is calling us to take responsibility, and he's given us that authority to do that. Notice that verse 23 is challenging us to know the condition of situation. Verse 24 now is a warning. Look at this interesting warning. It warns against placing our trust in wealth per se. 
Because he says riches and crowns don't last forever. Isn't that interesting? Those things can fade away. Ernest Lucas says the emphasis is more on relying on sustainable resources rather than on hoarding wealth. Now, sustainable resources are things that keep reproducing themselves. They're sustainable. And as you read the text, you realize this is a sustainable resource because what he's telling us to do in uh, verse 25, he says, when the hay is removed, who removes the hay? Well, we do, obviously, right? New growth appears. And then he says, and the grass from the hills is gathered in. In other words, who goes and gathers in the grass? We do. Why do we do that? So we can feed the animals, right? This is the agricultural picture he's giving us. And then he says, then the lambs will provide you with clothing. Here, it's a reciprocating relationship. As I do this, this is the benefit to me. The, the lambs will produce clothing and the goats with the price of a field. And then it says, and then you will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Already we're getting a picture of business acumen here. All right. Now, what I notice in this passage is it's almost a rebuttal, as Ernest Lucas points out, of hoarding wealth. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus has a parable that I think kind of jumps right from this, and it's the parable of the rich fool. Remember him? Jesus told, told the parable of a certain rich man, and it says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Notice that the harvest is a result of what? The ground. It's, but really, it's a result of God's blessing. Isn't that true? You know, because let's face it, if you're a farmer, you, you know that this is true. Farmers will tell you, you know, every year they're hoping for what? A good crop. And what has to happen? There needs to be certain conditions to have a good crop. And really, when you get down to, you know, we can fool around with, you know, you know, fertilizers and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to weather. How many know that's the truth? And the first thing you hear from farmers is they're always concerned about the weather. That's all they ever talk about. You know, they got to have just the right conditions to produce the optimum crop. And who provides the weather? God does. And so really, in this parable, it's basically saying God was blessing this man who had an abundant harvest. Now, notice in verse 17, he thought to himself. That's a very powerful statement. Notice he didn't inquire of God as what to do with the surplus. No, no, he, 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 God isn't even mentioned in the framework because you see, whenever the Bible talks about the rich man, it's talking about the person who's putting their trust in riches rather than in God. So here's this man thinking to himself, hmm, what am I going to do with the surplus? I have no place to store my crops. So rather than inquire of God, he says, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Now, I want you to notice the words, I will. I'm going to do this. I, 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 I. Right? Everybody catch that? And then I'll say to myself, notice he's not talking to God. He's talking to himself. He's got his own game plan. He's got his own agenda, right? You're going to have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Here's my plan. I'm going to do this investment. I'm going to save up all of this money. I'm going to have it for that day. Now, God isn't necessarily negating putting aside resources for a future time, but what he's talking about is hoarding because this guy was going to be hoarding. He didn't ask God what he should do with it. He says, now, here's my goal. Here is my agenda for life. Take life easy. 
Eat, drink, and be merry. How many know this is a, a phrase that we keep running into in the Bible? Eat, drink, and be merry. What philosophy is this? If you're a Greek, this is an Epicurean philosophy. This is about me and having pleasure. And you know, a lot of people today are Epicureans. They're just thinking about themselves. They're just thinking about, let's have a good time, right? You know, let's eat, drink, and be merry. That's the philosophy. But this man, you know, he's got some wisdom because he's putting it aside so he can do this. But here's where he was short-sighted. There's one thing he didn't count on. You know, uh, because he's living to please himself, he doesn't realize that he has no control over the gift of life. And in verse 20, God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? How many go, whoa, forgot about that. See, you know, when we don't have God in the equation, there's a lot of factors we forget. And here's the tragedy. Everything was working great. He had built this bigger barn. He had stored it all up. But God goes, you know what? Your life's coming to an end because life itself is a gift from God. He hadn't, you know, and God maybe had a totally different idea. And here's this man. He had only done what? He had only hoarded it up for himself. He had not invested what God had blessed him with whatsoever. Wow. We all need to remember that uh, we're just stewarding. Our, even our life is a gift. And we're, we have to manage this life. We have to steward our time on earth, how we're spending our moments, how we're spending our days, how we're spending our weeks. Do you realize that time actually is a more precious commodity than money? I'm, I'm being honest. It's the most precious commodity. And you can be the wealthiest person in the world, but if you've only got a week left to go on this earthly life, all the money in the world is not going to extend that time. Time is the most precious commodity. Money is actually just the acumen of acquiring things in a space of a certain amount of time and energy. It's just the focus of our lives to do that. But here at the end of the parable, Luke gives us a summary statement of the meaning of this particular parable. I always love that. He's going to give us the punchline. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not what? Rich towards God. Remember, he was the rich man. But really, we should retitle that. Here's the story of a poor man. He's poor towards God. And he's poor in the fact that he's not had the right priority in his life. He's not investing his life in the right thing. Okay, so what is the condition of our life? The assets God has given us in terms of people we're responsible for. All right, let's move on to the second thing pertaining to our life and work in an ever-changing world, is that things will not always remain the same. How many are starting to get, this is a point God's trying to teach us. Has anybody figured this out yet? This, this point is becoming very strongly stated over and over again. I mean, if I would have preached this sermon two years ago, this point would have been just breezed right on by. You wouldn't have got it the same way. But you know what I say it today? Everyone's going, I get this. I get this. You know, we don't live in a stable context. And you know, oftentimes we have this idea that we're trusting that things will remain the same, but when things change, everything can crater in a hurry. And we're seeing that. Unexpected things happen. Life is volatile. You know, we can have our assets evaporate in a moment, just gone, right? 
People's financial worth right now is diminishing rapidly. Many people's financial worth has gone down very substantially. We read in verse 24 that riches do not remain forever, nor the state of having resources passed down to us from a prior generation, because verse 24 says, and a crown is not secure for all generations. A crown, you know, it's speaking of, you know, social status here. So it's not just about money, it's about social status. And how many recognize that life can be really good one minute. How many rich and famous people are out there who today are no longer remembered? They're forgotten, and all the money that they had acquired is squandered, and they're living in poverty. And you and I don't even know about them. You know, a lot of people, famous people that were actors, famous people that were athletes, you know, one day they were on the top, and today, you know what? you'd be shocked to find where some of them are in their lives. It's tragic. And that can happen so quickly, you know? And it happens to a lot of people. You know, Tramper Longman says, if one lives off past surpluses, treasure, diadem, in other words for crown, the proverb warns, and neglects one's day-to-day work, the surplus will run out, and then the crops and animals will not be there to provide for sustenance. Paul Coptic says the contrast of fleeting wealth and power with nature's ever-renewing provisions teaches further lessons about faithfulness in relationships. So I think we have to move past the idea that this story is just about a bunch of farmers taking care of their livestock. Okay, let's move past that. This has an eternal application to it. This, this has application to people living in the 21st century who have got nothing to do with farming. It's talking about you and I need to be faithful and diligent in a renewable asset. And what is that renewable asset? And my argument is it's people. And why do I come up with this? Because isn't it interesting that in the Bible, God called leaders shepherds? Did you know that? As a matter of fact, one of the most significant psalm is Psalm 23, where it says what? The Lord is my shepherd. He's my leader. He's the one that's taking care of me. As a matter of fact, I was reading uh, yesterday uh, this idea about the value of good leadership and what it brings to communities. It says in Proverbs 28:2, when a country is rebellious, it has many rulers. <laughs> But a ruler with discernment and knowledge maintains order. You know, what's he talking about? He's talking about instability versus stability. He's talking about the kind of leadership that helps people pull together and work together in harmony and build order and structure that it, it enriches everybody. That's a leader that knows the condition of the people and what's going on and is working towards the betterment of everyone. You know, but when you don't have that kind of leadership, you've got people going in every which direction. Everybody's got an opinion. You've got conflict everywhere. You've got, you know, people become very rebellious. Um, so I think good shepherds care for the condition of their people. And this is in contrast to what God warns bad leaders. Listen to what God said in Jeremiah. He says, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. He's talking about the king's. A lot of these kings were terrible. They were evil. They were totally consumed upon themselves. They were taking advantage of people. There was injustice in the land. They were living, having the people serve them rather than they serve the people. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them in a way and have not bestowed care on them, I'm going to bestow judgment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. 
Hmm. God says, I'm going to come and shepherd my own people. How is he going to do that? Through godly leaders. Verse 3, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. Because isn't that what happened? The people ended up going into exile. Then God brings them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And I think we have to understand these verses to understand a New Testament text like this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I would argue that when people don't know God, they are sheep without a shepherd. When people don't know Christ, they are sheep without a shepherd. They live in a state of spiritual harassment. They live in a state of emotional terror. You know, there's a lot of issues that are going on. And sometimes as Christians, we fall prey to the same thing and live a defeated life because we're not trusting in the good shepherd who says he's going to take good care of us. And we just don't believe that. And I'm going to try to encourage us today. Listen, God is a good shepherd. You know, think about all the good things God does for us. He forgives us of all our sins. You know, he heals all of our sicknesses. He does a tremendous work of restoration in our lives. How powerful is that? But let me move on. Um, to the third point here, and that is we must be aware of the importance of renewable resources. Here we see the need to be diligent in the care of our responsibilities. You know, God gives us authority over the planet, but then God says, now that I've given you this authority, take care of it responsibly. Isn't that true? And as human beings, we do, you know, I have a, I think biblically we should, we should be saying, listen, we need to do the best we can with you know, what's on the planet with an idea that we are not owners of it, we're stewards of it, and that whatever we do in this life of ours, we're accountable to the good shepherd of our souls, the Father in heaven. We're accountable to God on how we treated the time that God gave us, the people God brought into our lives, the resources that God brought into our lives. How did we handle all of that? Because really, we're going to be giving an account to God for what we did with our lives. How many realize that? We all will. You say, well, yeah, but God's forgiven me, Pastor. I'm going, thank God for that. He's forgiven me too, but that doesn't mean we're, not, we're now totally unaccountable. It just means that God's not going to judge us for our sins, but there's still a judgment seat to stand before Christ to see if the things we've done in this life are good or whether they were worthless. We have an accountability to God. We're still managers. We're still stewards. Look at all the parables that Jesus told of God giving gifts to people, and some of them multiplied those gifts and were accountable when the, when the owner came back. Listen, God's going to come back. We're all accountable to how we're living and expending our lives. You know, and what I find in the context is the working of tending to this livestock's food supply, which, you know, in turn... If I care for the flock, the flock will care for me. Isn't that an amazing thought? Isn't that what's happening in the farmer's story here? He's feeding the lambs and goats, and they're meeting his needs. When you and I invest our lives in other people, that comes back to us, folks. That's what you need to understand. That's a, re that's a renewable resource in our lives. It says, when the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. 
He says, you will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. In other words, you'll be enriched. That's what he's telling us here. Tremper Longman says this proverb unit seems to advocate a fundamental dependence on renewable resources such as letting fresh grass replace dried grass and gathering vegetation from the mountains as crops for foods. Lambs and goats provide food, milk, and clothes. You know, so most of us say, well, you know what? What does that have to do with us today? We're not living on the farm. Well, I think the modern application we gain from this proverb is that we invest in renewable resources. And I, I say, so what are the renewable resources we should be giving our lives for? And the answer, the short answer is people. That's what we should be investing our lives, in people. You know, the other day, Patty and I watched a movie. It was called All Together Now. Maybe some of you have seen it. Anyways, it's a great story. It was about a homeless high school student who had two part-time jobs. She's going to school. Her mother's working, but she has other emotional issues. They're struggling. They're, they're actually living on the bus her mother drives. Can you imagine? Homeless, you know? And so she's trying to save money to help her mom and her get into a place where they no longer are homeless. So they're taking total responsibility. But what the beautiful story is, this little gal who's in high school, her name's Amber, everywhere she goes, like when she goes to work, she's full of joy. She's an encourager. She's bring, she brings enrichment into other people's lives. You know, sometimes people that have nothing understand how to bless other people. And she just brings her joyous, optimistic personality into everybody's life, which is really great. She's working in a senior's uh, center, you know, cleaning. And then she's also uh, works in a donut place, you know. And then she ends up bringing, you know, the leftover donuts to the senior's place, you know, constantly thinking about other people and trying to help them. Well, eventually, uh, you know, how many know in most movies there's got to be a, a tragedy of some kind, something to make the story have some sort of an element to it. And it was during one of these uh, moments in the movie, her mother's tragically killed, her money's taken from her, and her little pet dog uh, needs a major operation, life to save its life. And while battling grief and destitution, the very people who she had invested in rallied to help her in a very dramatic fashion. And that's the whole point. It was very moving. It was, you know, it was kind of those tear-jerking movies. You know, you're just kind of feeling, you can feel the emotion in the story. And it helps us to realize that when we invest in other people, ultimately, we're going to have a return on that investment. So the greatest investment I think we can make in our lives and earthly resources is in actually the gospel. And that's what Jesus actually talks about. Because when you and I bring the gospel, the good news about Jesus to people, we're not just investing into them momentarily. We're not just helping them in this life. We're actually doing that and more. We're actually helping them for all of eternity. We're actually extending and transforming by bringing this amazing transforming message into people's lives. We're bringing that into their lives. How powerful is that? You know, and I believe that as we are involved in that process, something happens to us we become transformed. That's what I discovered. How can I say this? Because I've been doing this for, you know, almost four decades as a pastor. That's a long time. And what I discovered in this journey is over those years, God was changing me. As I was working at help, trying to help other people, it was actually changing my life. It was changing me in the process. And that's exactly what happens when we're involved in that. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. He called the crowds to him along with his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
How many know that that's the very opposite of the rich man who was hoarding things up for himself? Jesus says, no, you got to do the opposite of that. you got to give yourself away. you got to invest yourself. you got to spend yourself in the lives of other people. And he says, then you take up your cross and you follow me, and whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it, just like the rich man over here. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. How many know the gospel? You know, we've kind of minimized that aspect of this text, but listen, it's the good news that brings transformation in people's lives. When you and I are investing in that, we're bringing the greatest gift to other people. Then he goes on to say, what good is it if someone gains the whole world yet forfeits their soul? Back to the rich man, remember the parable. And then it says in verse 37, or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? All the money in the world's not gonna save your soul. It says, so then uh, it's all about having the right priority to, for our lives. And the second area that we need to invest in is helping others in various ways according to their need. Now, this isn't just about money, folks. This is about our time, our energy, our affections. It's an investment of our heart into other people's lives. Do we really care? See, that's the question we have to ask. You know, what does God expect from us? He expects that our hearts get tender. He expects that we become like him. He expects that we will be moved with compassion, that we'll feel the pain of other people, that we won't just sit there as a bystander watching the pain of somebody, but that we'll invest ourselves into that person's life. The only way I can express my love for God, the only way you can express your love for God is the way in which I show love and compassion to other people. And so in response to Paul's appeal for the needs of the poor, the churches in northern Greece, the Macedonian churches, the churches like Thessalonica and Philippi responded in an amazing way. And so Paul's trying to encourage the southern Greek churches and the city of Corinth. They, they, he's trying to tell them, hey, you guys need to step up to the plate. Look what your brothers in the faith are doing further north of you. And he says these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial. They were in a severe trial, Paul was saying, these church people up north. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welded up in rich generosity. Do you know what's really mind-boggling? When you go to a poor part of the world and you're ministering the word of God to them and they have absolutely nothing and yet they want to bring something that's precious to them and give it to you. It's a little humbling. And then it says here, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. In other words, they, you know, it's like that little poor widow who gave in her two cents, which was out of her living while others were giving lavish gifts, but it was out of their abundance. It didn't cost them anything to give from this. But she was giving out of her poverty. This is what Paul is talking about here. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Paul says, hey, you guys can't afford it. They says, no, we have to do this, Paul. We want to do this. We know what it's like to be poor. We're going to help these other people. And they exceeded our expectations. Why? Because they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Isn't that where giving begins? When you and I give ourselves fully to God, that's when we can fully give ourselves to others. And then Paul says, and then by the will of God also to us. Wow. You know, I've thought over the, uh, let me just go back here. 
you know, I, I, I love how Paul explains the motivation of their generosity. They gave to the Lord and then to us, he said. And I thought about over the years as a pastor, how often we end up praying for people we've never met. Now, think about this. You know, you guys write in prayer requests every week, right? And some of you know those people, and some of you know somebody who knows those people. And how many times you're getting prayer requests, you have no idea who you're praying for. As a matter of fact, on Tuesdays, the vast majority of people I'm praying for I've never met. And I've thought about it over the years, and how many times I've been at a prayer meeting, and somebody said, pray for so-and-so, they've had this experience, or pray for this person, or pray for that person. And we've spent time praying for people we don't even know, and we have never met. And then when you and I give to the gospel work, how many times have we sent monies to other countries, and we've sent missionaries, and they have preached the gospel, and we have never met those people, and some of us will never meet them this side of eternity, but yet they hear the gospel, and their lives are changed. How many think that's an amazing thing? Isn't that amazing? You know, it's easy to give to someone when you can see the need right in front of you and you really care about this person, you just easily give them, you give it to them because you really care about them. But to give to people you've never met, to pray for people you've never, never, you don't know, that's powerful stuff. How many see that? That's moving outside of yourself in a powerful way. You know, Here in our text, we find that these resources are then used not only to care for the flock, but the flock then cares for the farmer. It provides the wool, the clothing, the food, the financial stability. It provides greater resources. Other fields are bought, and it actually expands that person's ability to add to their resources and what they can give. How many see that? So therefore, it's not just about what we get from it, but also what we are bringing into the lives of others, enriching them in the process. And then... Uh, then becomes an amazing unbroken cycle rather than a diminishing resource. Let me tell you how Paul says it, because I think this is really powerful. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, this is what I want to do. I'm kind of like the Macedonians. I can't, I can't help myself. I want to help people. You know? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a very profound statement, verse 8 there. What's God saying? Because you and I have learned to become givers God says, you know what? It's like sowing. It's like planting seed in the ground. Eventually, a harvest comes back to you, and pretty soon you have more than what you gave. And what's happening is God is able to bless you abundantly. But why is God blessing you abundantly? So you can you know, go on another trip or buy a bigger house or a, big, a better car or whatever? Not necessarily. It's not what he's saying here. He's saying, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, you'll have more opportunity to do more good things. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 9, as it is written, they have scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed 
and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, this is, this is something that's happening to you. You are becoming a different person. You are growing inside of your soul. You are becoming more godlike. You are becoming more generous. You are actually, God is using you in so many ways, but it's not just about giving money. It's giving your time and your energy into other people's lives. And what's happening is you are becoming better at doing what you're doing. And you are actually multiplying your efforts. And pretty soon you're not only helping this person, but this person is now helping that person. And that person's helping that person. You have no idea how your little help is actually extending an ever-widening circle of grace into other people's lives, and then you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. How many think it's awesome when you now have the resources that whatever you want to do to help people, you can actually do it? You know, when you're younger, sometimes you don't have the resources. You know, you can pray for them, and that's all you've got. But you know what? As you keep learning how to become generous, as you're a young person, you keep becoming generous, all of a sudden God keeps blessing your life, then you have the resources eventually to become far more generous. It becomes a cycle. How many are starting to see the cycle? You know, a lot of people, I get tired of these, you know, situations where people are telling people, give and it'll be given to you so you can go out there and enjoy your life and have more for yourself. That's not the gospel, folks. The gospel is that you and I can give to other people so that, you know what, God can give more to us so that we can even give more. That's what it's teaching us in these texts, folks. And then it, it, he goes on to say here, let me go back. Didn't finish that one there. Verse 11. So that, uh, well, I'll get there. It, so that others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And then verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proven yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, for their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. What's Paul saying? Very simply, God blesses us. We give. Others thank God for the blessing. And now, in turn, they start praying for us. And as they're praying for us, God starts blessing us again. It becomes a, I'm going to say, a blessed cycle. Not a vicious circle. A blessed cycle. Do you know what's happened in our church? Can I tell you what's really going on right now? You're going to love this. As you and I have continued to show generosity to India, to Africa, to Cuba, to Myanmar, all these countries around the world, you know what they're doing? They're thanking God, and they're on their knees, and they're interceding in prayer. And what God is doing in our church is blessing it. And the more God blesses us, the more we give to others. And how many see that that's powerful? Because you see, God has to find people he can actually trust. I think that's part of it. But something happens to us in this process. We're changed in the process. We want to do this stuff. So my question is, in conclusion, how are you investing the gift of life and the blessings that God has freely given to us? How is he doing that for you and for me? How are we doing in that? How are we investing our time, our energy, our resources? Are we just really giving our life and saying, man, I want to have a renewable resource. I'm not interested in just hoarding. I'm interested, you know, I'm not talking about not putting money away. Don't misunderstand. I think we can do that. But I'm saying that we can learn how to get into the cycle. We can make it 
about us like the rich farmer who consulted himself and hoarded his grain later to die and have no idea who inherited what he had labored for? Isn't that sad? That's a tragedy, I think. Or we can invest our lives in the eternal gospel and in the lives of others knowing that eternal dividends as well as earthly blessings will be continued to be given to us because we're investing in renewable resources. We have a choice. That's it. That's it. That's the choice we get to have. Let's stand. How many got it? How many got it? Did you get it? How many go, I got it. I understand it. See, my prayer for you this morning was that you would have understanding. Did you catch what I said? God help us to understand. Because you can't do something you don't get. It's true. I, you know, I could probably have people come up here and say, Pastor, once I learned how to give, it was amazing what happened in my life. Once I learned about generosity, it changed my whole life. It changes something on the inside. It really does. You know, it starts with you giving your life to God first. You giving your time to God. You giving yourself unreservedly to God. Step one. How many say, okay, I plan on doing that. Step one, I'm going to give myself fully and unreservedly to God. My thoughts, my time, my energy, whatever God wants, I'm just stewarding my life. I'm just a steward. I have to give an accountability. How did I spend my life? And am I spending my life well? Question number one, how are you doing? (laughs) Only you can answer that. If you're questioning it and you're wondering about it, you can go to God and say, Lord, here's my life. Help me to spend it wisely. How many say, I need a little help from God to spend my life wisely? Anybody here say that? Okay, that's good. We should all have our hands up. Lord, I need help. Number two, okay. If I do that, can you show me how to become a generous person? How many believe that if we're, if we're going to become like Jesus, how many think God's pretty generous? Any, how many would say that God is the most generous person you know? I got both hands up. He's the most generous person I know. You say, how do I know he's so generous? He gave his life for me, and he gave his life for you. That everything that I have in this life, God gave me. You're generous. He's given us so much to enjoy. You know, you don't have to have a lot of money. I can just go driving down the road, go to these mountains and enjoy the mountains. That's a gift from God. Isn't that beautiful? Is God generous? Come on now. How many say God is generous? Okay. Now, my question is, how much are you and I like God? How much are we like him? If I'm going to grow and become more like Christ, what are some of the things that are going to happen? I'm going to have more compassion. True? Jesus was moved with compassion. The more I become like Christ, the more compassion it'll develop within me. I can even love my enemies if I'm like Christ. I can forgive my enemies if I'm like Christ. How many say that's all true? I can actually give my life away if I'm like Christ. I can be really generous to other people if I'm like Christ. How many go, the problem is I need to be like Christ? How many see the problem? So how do I become like Christ? Go back to the number one square again. Give yourself to him. You'll say, okay, here, here's my life. I'm going to take off the reserve sign. Come on, let's be honest. There's some reserve spots in your life. God, you can have this much of me, but this is reserved. You can have this much time, but I've got this reserved for me. 
You can do, you, I'll do this much, God, but this is still on reserve over here. You know what we need to do? We need to get really radical right now. We need to go, okay, God, I'm pulling off all the reserve signs and saying, I invite you over there. What do you think is going to happen? See, some of us are getting nervous. What will happen if I take the reserve sign off? You know, God might make me do something that that's not what I had in mind. Yeah, but it's what he had in mind. And I'm going to argue with you that what God has in mind for you is better and greater than what you have in mind for yourself. And that God has some desserts that you would have never dreamed of, but he can't even give them to you because you got reserve signs in those places. And while you and I are fooling around, you know, with this little stuff over here, God goes, I got something really neat over here for you, but I can't give it to you because you got too many reserves over here. Please pull the reserve signs out. Let God just fill your life. And he'll bonus. You're going to start getting bonuses. You'll go, I didn't deserve this. You know, sometimes I've walked around and I go, you ever have those moments you walk around going, I didn't deserve this. I did not deserve this, God. Why? Why are you doing this for me? I'm generous. He's generous. Lord, I just pray this morning that you will help us to fully give ourselves to you, pull all the reserves out, and trust you so implicitly that what you have in store for our lives is far greater than any agenda or plan that we could ever come up with. Help us, oh God, to become more like you, to become more generous, more compassionate, more understanding, that we'll invest our energies and time, not with just, you know, little interests over here, that really don't ultimately are not renewable. But you have some renewable resources that you want to bring into our lives, people that you want to enrich our lives with. Yeah, it's going to take more energy from us at times. It's going to be more challenging at times. But Lord, the value and the blessing and the transformation that will come into our lives is worth every challenge. And Lord, I pray right now that all the fear would leave right now in the name of Jesus that because so often we miss what you have for us because we've allowed fear to keep us from going into the promised land, our inheritance in you. We've allowed that fear to keep us from going in. But give us the faith of a Caleb and a Joshua that says, yes, I'm going to go in and I'm going to receive my inheritance. I'm going to just pull the reserve sides down in my life and I'm going to just go for what you've got for me, Lord. And wherever that takes me, and whatever the people that you're calling me to, and whatever the situations that you're going to bring me into, Father, I'm going to embrace them as a gift from you because I know that that's the best investment and the best renewable resource that I could ever have is pouring my life out for you by pouring it out for others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave.